Golay presents Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. 100% Irish and direct to your door. Hello, pod buds. Welcome to Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. I'm your host, Ed Smith, and this is the podcast where you get to hear about the lives and histories of your favourite musical heroes and theirs. Over the course of this series, I'll be speaking to some absolutely incredible musicians, writers, artists, comedians and creatives, and well, in this case, modules about the three records that have defined their lives. Now, yet again, just to remind you, this isn't yet another podcast highlighting the coolest, the edgiest, the most rarefied records, no, 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 that people have in their collections. Not at all, no. We know there's plenty of those. This is a podcast for everyone, where we celebrate the personal relationship people have with the music that they really, really listen to. So, expect some unexpected choices, forgotten favourites from across the musical spectrum, from rock to house to pop and, well today, to country. So, to this week's guest on Recorded History, where does one begin with one of the most influential, maybe you could say infamous, but definitely important figures in Irish musical history? It's Mr. Louis Walsh. Yes, when I was told, I should say as well, this chat happened a few months ago, only getting around to putting it out on this week's episode of Recorded History. But when I was told, Ed, we've got you, Louis, I was like, oh, wow. A little bit trepidatious, a little bit fearful. You know, he has a monumental, a gigantic reputation in the business. But as soon as I met him, I just fell instantly in like with Louis Walsh. He is charm personified. And we sat down. I could have done a four-day episode with Louis Walsh. Let me tell you that. The man's life experiences are just unbelievable. You know, and what it came through, I think, for the most part, and overall, and the overarching message here is how much he genuinely, sincerely loves, as he describes, just a good song, sorry, Mario, for that dreadful impression of, of Louis. But, you know, that's what comes through. He knows and loves his tunes. Going back to the 1950s and being around his father's musical taste, you know, learning the trade at the age of 14 and 15 in Kilshima, and then going on to the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, noughties, and now forging one of the most remarkable careers in music. He has seen and done it all. And I think, you know, we hear some great stories here about how he deals with the bands that he's managed over the years, how he's put them together, his song choices for them. You know, he brings with him a little bit of steel, does Louis, but, you know, you don't get that successful. You don't have that much of an impact without having a little bit of steel in you, I don't think, anyway. But hopefully you will enjoy the chat with Louis today as much as I did taking part in it. He is the absolute crack. And I will say this as well. If there was a Eurovision or even an Olympics for gossip, Louis Walsh would have a collection of gold medals. The stuff I had to edit out of this chat, the stuff that happened before we officially sat down and I hit click on the record button and afterwards, let me tell you, I I could have got into some serious trouble, but he didn't care. He has so many incredible stories. I've kept as many of them in as I legally can. Let me just say that. I, I've kept as many of them in without me getting absolutely fired into the sea. But enough of that and more of this. Here is me chatting with, well, you can deny it, you can say whatever you want. He is the legendary Louis Walsh. 
Thank you, Ed. That's a great introduction. How was that? Yeah. It's great. I mean, it's not all true, but I like it. The thing is, I could have spent the entire time I'm allowed for this podcast just doing your intro alone. I'm happy with it. Yeah, that's okay. I'm happy with it. And we're going to talk about music. I and think we should just wrap it up from there. I think we're okay now. No, we're, I do love music. Most people don't think I'm just in it for the money. Is that something that has frustrated you over the years that people don't fully, I suppose, appreciate or respect how much, how serious you are about music? Well, I don't know if I'm serious. I do love it. It's like a drug to me. It's better than drinking or, or drugs or anything. I literally can get high listening to music. Certain music. I mean, I was playing Al Green the other day in my Jeep and I was singing along with Al Green and I was on a bit of a high, you know? Of course, but music's the only thing that really can. It, know, it really to places that, it gets me. It yeah. makes me high. It makes me happy. Great, great to hear. Well, listen, just before we get to your choices in a little while, I was absolutely blown away by your three choices today. First of all, thank you so much for taking the time from your busy schedule Listen, moulding really, pop I, stars. That's yeah. easy. I can talk about pop music all day because I really like it. Yeah, I suppose musically you're best known or most associated with pop. Oh, yeah. Um, has pop music, I mean, you've been involved in business now for so long, has pop music and the business around it changed much uh, up until this point? It has definitely changed. Yeah. And the way we buy it and the way we see it and the, the way we listen to it has all changed. Because when I started off, it was just a small little radio in Mayo and you had Radio Luxembourg fabulous 208 and I used to listen to that in the evening it was crackly but that's how I discovered the Beach Boys and even soul music and all that and we had a record player and we had like only three or four 45s and we used to swap them with the neighbours and my father had about I think he had about 12 albums you know but they were all classical I remember The King and I and John McCormack and Carousel. And my, my Fair, Fair Lady, Lady was a big My one. Fair Lady was yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, Oh my God, I think we all had that. My yeah. Fair Lady. Maybe that was our version. You, our I copy think you I, had. I might have found it on a Mayo in a, in a jumble sale. Like yeah, well, that was mine. And we had, I can just, I can still see them and I can hear the crackles. But my mother liked Bridie Gallagher. Oh my, from Donegal. Yes. She was massive, wasn't she? Yes, she, she was, was so big. Yeah. And I had to listen to all this music, but it got me into music and I really realised how much my father loved music. He also used to play Strauss waltzes. Okay. So a real mix, a real eclectic A real mix. mix. And that yeah. was the good thing about Ireland. And even today, you can like, I like all kinds of music. I can listen to pop and I can listen to country, especially yeah. old country. You know? I can listen to almost everything. I don't love rap. It's not my thing. I'm going to be honest, it's not my thing. But I can, I love all kinds of music. That is very evident from the three choices that you've given us here. Well, I could have given you like 3,000. I know, yeah. We're going to start with the first one. It's 1963. You would have been, if you don't mind me saying, 11 around that time, when Roy Orbison... The Big O. The Big O, the great Roy Orbison, released In Dreams. Now, this is quite a stunning record, really. It's something about it. It's just very moving. It's very magical. I think it's very evocative. I think the recording process that went into this, uh, when I listen to it, it's a very ethereal, dreamlike, yeah. obviously because of the name of the song. And what, Ed, is, what is it about that song that... There's something just amazing about it. And I got to know his wife, Barbara. Oh my God. Right. And she told me all about it. And she told me he got the idea. He was in bed at night time. Right. And he got up to write these lyrics. But the candy cutter clown they called the Sandman. Yeah. And um, it was just, it's his voice. It's unique. It's yeah. brilliant. It's timeless. And it's Roy Orbison. It's one of the great opening lines, isn't it? You know, you're all, you're instantly transported. And, it is, and, you know, I think with David Lynch's use of it in Blue oh, Velvet. Oh, he does it in Blue Velvet, yeah. It added kind of almost an eerie quality and to that scene. I like the original version on Monument the best because that was, that was Roy at his best. They've re-recorded them twice since. I know his sons have done the compilation recently as well, Roy's Boys. And it's, and the altered version with the orchestra. 
in in in, the, in London, the London Orchestra. Oh, they did it. That, that was quite a popular, thing and it was quite good. But yeah. I prefer the original. The original and the best. Interesting little fact about that is that you know, famously, uh, Roy Orbison would write a lot of his songs after sleeping. He dreamed the songs, and he wrote this in twenty minutes after half hearing what was possibly an Elvis track on the radio. Whatever way it mangled and, and, and spread about his brain, he woke up and wrote this in 20 minutes. And some years later, Bono. Heard uh, him, was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, He's an uppercut. I'd watch out for She's him. a mystery to me. Yeah, so he was listening to the Blue Velvet soundtrack obsessively whilst on tour. Couldn't sleep, so he listened to it over and over again. He fell asleep. And when he woke up, he had a song in his head, which he thought was a Roy Orbison song. And it was She's a Mystery. Oh. And he gave that song to Roy to record, obviously. Wow. One of his last albums. And I know Jeff Lynne was a massive, massive fan of Roy's because Barbara told me all about this. And you can hear Roy's, just you hear bits of Roy Orbison in some of the ELO tracks, you know? Yeah, I think I think one of the top three voices of all time, you know. A, a distinctive. Famous, they're very distinctive. He had three octaves, I think. He could go quite low. And then he could soar into the sky with that beautiful voice. And he had a very tough life. He had tragic but Ed, he used to always tour in Ireland. Yeah. He, he did all the ballrooms. Yeah. yeah, he was in Castle Bar and all these places. It's amazing when you, you think know? about it now. Yeah. It is. And just, you know, himself and Roy Orbison and Elvis would have had a kind of a healthy rivalry. I think Elvis described him as he's the greatest singer of all time. It's hard to argue. When Elvis says that, they're in That's serious true. territory. But they had a kind of a, a back and forth, I think, much like the Beatles and the Beach Boys would have had. And the Stones, yeah. And the Stones and all. So, you know, I'm just wondering in your own career, did you have anyone... I suppose, kind of a healthy rivalry with somebody coming up or more recently that kind of prompted you or I suppose provoked you to kind of in your business or in your in your dealings. Was there somebody out there that you kept an eye on going, oh, they've just signed so-and-so, I'm going to have to. No, but I'll tell them. you who I think is, well, is one of the greatest managers of all time is Paul McGuinness. Yeah. And even though he does U2, and, or he did U2 and he started them. And I remember him in Waterloo Road in Dublin. He was living in a small apartment there. U2 were in record mirror. He called me in, he showed me in. He believed in them. And I think that's the best thing a manager can be, do or, or be, is to believe in the act. And he genuinely believed. And he made that. He made the band. Well, we he know was, you two know, without Paul. The fifth member, so of course. I think yeah. he inspired me more than anything. And I, I was inspired in a way by Nigel Martin-Smith. He had Take That in the UK. And they became a massive act, you know. And I kind of love, I kind of love all the maverick pop artists and, and managers, I kind of like them. You know, you spoke about your father, the eclectic music. Like, I, I grew up in a Jim Reeves house. So my mother was a sentimental soul, as many Irish mothers Everybody were. in Ireland loved Jim Reeves. Yeah, there was something about he Jim Reeves. He was the Garrett Brooks of that time. Yeah, but he had, I think, there was a country, Irish people love country music, but there was something almost Irish about the way he sang yeah. his songs. He came to Kelsey Mott Wow. But he didn't perform. Oh. And the town was packed with people. You couldn't move just because the piano it. wasn't right or something. Oh, he wouldn't yeah. perform. He was moody. He went back. He didn't record. That was in the Crystal Ballroom. I'd always remember that. It was like big scandal. Was it that, that he Jim wouldn't Reeves. perform in Kill Shimon? He wouldn't perform. Oh, God. Well, that's, that's me never buying But yeah, he was part of growing up in Ireland. You're absolutely right. I'd forgotten that one, Ed. Yeah. And also, I want to bring you back to Claire Morris. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you don't mind. I used to work in a pub there. That's right. When you worked part-time in a pub, you're only 15 now. Yeah, maybe younger. And I'm obsessed with this with the show band scene at the time, of course, it was the pub was owned by two members of, of the Royal, Royal Blues, Blues. Yeah, who had old man trouble at. And at that stage, when you were fourteen, fifteen, did you know at that stage that I want to get into this business? I want to really ply my trade in the music business. Obviously. Honestly, Ed, I just didn't want to do a real job. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't want to work nine to five. 
kind of work for the night, if you know what I mean. I'm not an early morning person, and I didn't want to work in the bank or anything like that. And I was sent to school, I was sent to secondary school in St. Nathie's in Bellatrice. I hated it. I, it was like prison, but it got me ready for life. And did, it, it me, did music then provide an escape? Yes. And music always has been an escape for me. And then you, you encountered the legendary Andy Creighton around this yes. time. Yes. He was an amazing manager at the time. You were the, the, the apprentice, the magician's apprentice. As, as I was were. watching him and I was watching oh, them. What were, you, what, what were you looking out for? Or what did you pick up from Andy? There was exci- Oh, he knew how to hype a band. He knew how to get records played. He, pre- he knew how to promote. He promoted the act. And he had this song called Old Man Trouble. You know, Who's that knocking on my door? Old Man Trouble. It was a big, big record. It was number one. And they were a big local band and two of them were living very near to me. And Doc Harlan and the Royal Blues. So Doc eventually got me a job working in Dublin, working for Tommy Hayden. But before that, I worked in their pub in Clare Morris for summer. I, I thought it was fantastic. Because I'm, I'm very fascinated by the show band scene of I the loved 60s it. and 70s. I you know, loved it. They're very daughter. underrated. Yeah, I, I would have thought it uh, slightly disrespected and overlooked. You know, you're and obviously operators like Ed, you know, Tony Cassidy. Yeah, but the Freshmen were the band that blew my mind. They were from the North. And they were serious musicians. Oh, Billy Brown, Derek Dean, the yeah. amazing. I still have all the records, you know. And was there anything that you picked up then, even in the, I suppose, what, early 60s? Harmonies, 60s? harmonies. The thing about the Freshmen was that these amazing harmonies, they were a bit like the Beach Boys. They weren't like an Irish show band. They're from the North, uh, but it was the harmonies. And Billy Brown was a genius, absolutely underrated and kind of forgotten about them. But there was so much more to them. And these two, Stevie Wonder, these two Soul, they were an amazing band. I love their harmonies. And another band from the North with amazing harmonies were Chips. Linda Mart and Paul Little, they were an amazing band. And like people, they were doing ballrooms and they would just stand there and look. It was all Mamas and the Papas, Crosby, Stills and Natch. And they introduced me to all this kind of music, yeah. you know? And then after that, there was another band from the North called the Plattermen, Rob Strong and the Plattermen. But they were like Brass, Blood, Sweat and Tears and Chicago and all that type of stuff. Three amazing show bands. Now that brings us nicely to your second choice. Willie Nelson's album from 1978. It's called Stardust. Um, So Into Your Crate goes Willie Nelson's Stardust. This was his 22nd album. Did you know he went on actually? He's just recorded 97 albums. He's still gigging. It's astonishing. Absolutely. And I still keep track of him. I don't have all the records, but he's still working. I saw him in Three Arena maybe 10 years ago and he was brilliant. Um, And there's some, he's an acquired taste. I didn't like him immediately. You know, but the more you listen to him, he's just very unique. And this Hoagie Carmichael song, he does his own take on it. And I just think... So you've gone with, you've chosen the title track. Stardust. From the album, yeah, Hoagie Carmichael's classic. Love it. Standard at this stage, really. Love it, love it, love it. And what is it, because I listened to this when I was on the way in here. Honestly, I haven't it's heard it for a few. It's haunting. It, it brought a tear to my eye. I have to say, it's his interpretation of it. You know, I think the thing with Willie Nelson is, we were speaking about Roy Orbison earlier. Mm-hmm. Willie Nelson, it's fair to say, hasn't technically the most beautiful or soaring voice, but he has one of the great voices to it's my It's distinctive, ears. though. It's so distinctive. And what he can do with a song. Yeah. And he I mean, can do all kinds of songs. All kinds. And all kinds of duets and everything, you know. And he's amazing. And he's still gigging. That's the most amazing. All that dope he smokes hasn't yeah. done him any harm. Not, yeah, he's the country Snoop Dogg. And, if you know, I'm, everybody loves a bit of Willie. I'm not going to move too swiftly on from that, Louis. You're going to let that hang in the air, as it were. Uh, if he was, there was a bit of controversy around the recording of that album with his manager and, and the label. I think George and my mind are doing 
Hoagie Carmichael songs. Mm-hmm. Classics. If he was your uh, artist and he came to you, if one of your artists came going, listen, I'm going to go off grid here completely. If, for example, Westlife wanted to do a country album or, you know, one of your, Samantha Mumba came, she was going to do, you know, folk songs. Or, what would your reaction be, do you think? Well, you go, you have to let them do it, yeah. even if it's not good for their career. Okay. Because you know, if you don't let them do it, you could be fired. That, and that's the problem with a lot of artists now. They think they know it all. They think they know it all. And they don't, because you have to listen to your record company and your manager and the people around you that are honest. But so many artists are surrounded by yes people. And they listen to the makeup person, and the stylist and the tour manager and all these yes people who are all getting paid. And that's the problem, I think, with the business today. Yeah. You, it's very hard to be honest with people. I tend to be honest and say, I'm sorry. You have guy. the reputation for not yeah, sugar coping. I do that with yeah. Westlife and they always listen. They always laugh at me, you know. But because um, once or twice they wanted to do different songs that I didn't like. But uh, we let them do one. And it didn't work. That, Can that you song, say which songs they were? Yes. That song by, was by Relish. Oh, hey, Rainbow well, Zephyr. Or, yeah, yeah, that yes. one. That one, yeah. hey, whatever. Yeah. They wanted or, to do that. And Simon Cowell and I said, we let them, you know, because they were having number one, number one, number one. And it didn't really work. And then Simon said, I've got a song for you guys. And he played the Mandy. And they had to do it. And it was number one. So you give them one and then yeah. in return. Yeah, yeah, but like, you know, listen, they don't know what we know. You know, yeah. they're out there on the stage. They don't know what, what people in radio will play or what producers want or what, what the public want. They don't know. And it's, a lot of your acts would have covered older Oh, I picked nearly classics. all the covers. Yeah. What is the criteria for you, for say the likes of Mandy or any of the covers that they've me done? Up. Raise um, Me Up. Yeah. Love Me For A Reason and Words and all those. A great song. A great song that you bring into a new generation. And maybe that DJs are going to like as well. I think, I haven't heard that song in a long time. We're going to give it a go. But it has to be as good, if not better than the original. Yes. You need great producers. Now, Louis, to record number three. Uh, it's an absolute stunner. Your choices today have been one classic after another. We are sampling some summer wine oh. with Nancy Sinatra. And Lee Hazelwood. Lee Hazelwood, yeah. I love this song. And they had a full album. Amazing songs. And there's a great cover of this song by Bongo and Andrea Carr. That's right. It's We're very back to good. Bono again. Yeah, well, he, he does the Lee Hazelwood voice really, really But there's well. a magic between, like, he's very gruff, deep. And then Nancy. Rowdy, and then her sweet, smooth. She has the most yeah. beautiful pop voice. It's a bit like Sandy Shaw. It wasn't that it was a great voice, but it was a great pop voice. And I know Morrissey, of all people, he loved both of those people. Yeah, and I love both of them as well. And Nancy, she wasn't the best singer in the world, even when she did something stupid with um, her father, Frank. But it was, it's just something innocent about her voice. And there's a, some great tracks on that album, Some Velvet Morning. and Oh, the whole album is amazing. I recommend it to anybody, the Lee Hazelwood, Nancy Sinatra album. But the chemistry between them, mm. I've often wondered that they have a relationship outside the studio. I don't think, I did a bit of research on this. I don't think they are. But this chemistry sizzles between them on the it's record. Just, it's, it's just the two different voices. It is. You're absolutely right. And would you consider yourself... Uh, you know, obviously music means a lot to you. It brings you to different places in your life. Would you be sentimental about music? Or Yeah. You are. Absolutely. And you know the song that always gets me? Patsy Klein, oh. Crazy, which was written by Willie Nelson. There's something about that song. And it just, it hits me every time I hear it. So to, Louis, to go back to, I'm fascinated always, and I always have been with your song choices. 
for the likes of Westlife or Boyzone. I just have this image of you listening to your records at home, going through them disc by disc. By Absolutely. Disc. 45s, a lot 45s, of them. 45s, yeah. I picked the 45 um, of the Osmonds, Love Me For A Reason. Oh my God. And I sent it to the producer in London. I sent it the actual 45. Did you think then that there's a bit of method to your, not madness, to your approach? Because when people, the young people have never have heard the Osmonds They wouldn't track, have known or the, it, no. Even the Billy Joel, Uptown Girl, or any of that. Or Words by the Bee Gees. Words by the yeah. Bee Gees, yeah. Great choice, by the way. That's, they didn't want to do it. They were wrong. So, but did you then have it in your back of your mind that, well, if, if the kids are hearing this for the first time, essentially, mum and dad in the car will pick up on this going, is that the, so are you hitting two? No, if I'm honest with you, no, I'm not trying to hit the mum and dad because yeah. they're not going to, but I always remember, when I, I love Tracy Chapman yeah, and I used to play her album all the time at home and baby can I hold you? And I was playing that up and I said, is it too well known to be a hit again? You know, I just love the song and I called Colin Barlow and Polly Dora. I said, Colin, we should do Baby Can I Hold You, you know, with Ronan. And he said, have a listen. But everybody knew her version so well. We were taking a gamble, but it worked. It worked with him and it worked that we rose to a whole new generation. And do you have much say then in the studio? No. With how the song is interpreted no, or produced? No, I don't. You just that, leave them to That's it. the producer's job. Yeah. That's the WWE arranger's job. No, I just, I'm a fan of songs. I'll just suggest songs, you know. And I've got a whole, I've got a whole stack of songs at home because I have a new band I'm going to launch very soon on an unsuspecting public. But I've got some really good covers, unknown covers, but great songs. A great song is a great song, Ed. And that's it. And you just bring it to a new, and you record it, but you record it well. And then you must promote it well. Summer Wine is the only duet, Louis, of your three choices. Um, as we were saying, there's a certain magical chemistry that happens that intertwines the voices of Lee Hazelwood when it's the cool beauty of Nancy Sinatra, the rough and the smooth. Yeah. What is your take on, on duets? You know, they're, they're, they can be hit or miss. They uh, can be, but I mean, if you go back to Marvin Gaye and Diana Ross, or, you know, Diana Ross and Lionel Richie, or you have Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell, if the voices are right, it'll work. Always, no matter who it is. Even Dolly and, and uh, Kenny, you know, that's still a great, great song. And I can't imagine anyone else singing it. No, know, I don't think anybody in. could do a better job than Kenny and Dolly. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's an untouchable one. Now, before we finish our summer wine, Louis, just tell me when you hear it now to this day, where does it bring you? What? Where is Louis Walsh? Honestly, when he listens it to brings me back to Kelchimo in County Mayo, Mayo and a jukebox. There was a jukebox down the town in a place called Carroll's and I was fascinated by the jukebox. I was fascinated by watching the records going around, then them picking him up and playing it. And that's the song. And I, I've been fascinated by jukebox ever since. I actually have one at home. But um, I'm fascinated by what, and I'm fascinated by pop music. And I remember it coming out of that speaker. And it was just, it was kind of magic. It took me to another place. But 1960s Ireland, of course, I think music had a particularly important and a significant course. for people because things were tough. Yeah. And that transportative nature. But we, we were still happy. And putting it on. Of course. We were, we were happy. still happy, yeah. But I think listening to a record then, that transportative nature to this day, I suppose, still brings you to somewhere else. Yeah, and that three, was the thing about... Minutes. Uh, that was the thing about the jukebox. It was all these amazing sounds coming out. I do remember hearing the Beach Boys for the first time, you know, and like good vibrations and do it again and Snoop John B and all those songs. And it was like, it was magic. I am fascinated by vinyl, you know, and I have an awful lot of vinyl records at home. 45s, albums, everything. And I do, I still miss albums because I like to buy them 
read all the sleeve notes, read the producers, the writers who did the pictures. I want to know everything. And that's one, that's one thing I miss. About I think that's the music. been lost. You know, I think the revival with vinyl is so welcome because, you know, it's that tactile, physical side of music. You know, it I, is. And it's the crackles as and, well. And the, other, the, the platforms are great, you know, but I think when I was coming up in the 90s, you bought one album. That's all you could afford. Oh, yeah. And that was it for yeah, maybe yeah. a month. Yeah, yeah. So you weren't going to go, oh, I don't know if I like it or not. Yeah. You made sure you, you gave totally, it a good 10, totally. 15, 20 listens. Totally. And whilst you're listening, you're reading the lyrics. Yeah, I miss never record forget shops. It. Yeah, record um, shops are... I love vinyl. I'm a bit of a vinyl junkie. And I have all my original 45s as well. I won't throw them out. Yeah, my father had all the old classic opera tunes from... So there were the thick... What were they? The third... They were the 45s. Big, thick gramophone records. And he had a gorgeous Oh, selection. the 78? 78, sorry. Oh, yeah, I have some of them so too. So he had the 78 in a beautiful old record player. It's a beautiful antique piece. And to this day, we would spend our childhood, now to think about it, I bring tears to my eyes, we'd get them and use them as frisbees. Oh. And we'd, we'd, and we'd, we'd throw them across the garden or throw them against that. We didn't Ed, have any regard. I'm just going off you. I know, I know. You've ruined it. That memory just came back into my head. I wish it had. Now, before we let you go, I have to ask you. Go on. Louis, you mentioned there briefly, what is up next? I, you're on. You're in oh, the I'm, market for a new band. Yeah, I have a new band picked. Oh, you have them picked. I have no name, nothing. I've picked, I auditioned a thousand boys. I have it down to six. Um, I've no name, nothing, but they're really good. And they all sing, Ed. All of them? They all sing. Okay. Some of them play guitar and it's really good. And what's the time frame of... When you pick I don't know. Down I have them picked. I've no name. I've nothing. I haven't even got them signed. Does it take a couple of years to develop? No. Oh, oh no, no. I can do it a month. As soon as, as I get a regular. I have a producer lined up. And yeah. I have lots of people lined up. Oh, and exciting. it's time for something new here yeah. in pop because there's a lot of singer-songwriters. It's cyclical, isn't it, that with these uh, with these groups that you have to wait a little couple of fallow years before you... Yeah, but out. it's a whole new generation. Yeah, it's great. It's a whole new... And these, this is for the generation. This is for the Westlife kids. Not the mothers who follow Westlife. This is for the kids. The next generation. Now, as is tradition with these types of deals, Louis, you can only pick one of the records that we've discussed here today to go into your record hub basket. Okay. Which one is it? And can you tell me why? I have to pick Roy Orbison. Oh, great choice. Because it's just distinctive and it's yeah. just amazing. And no matter when you play it, it just gets you. It's his voice. It's the big O. Ah, yeah, the big ol'. It would have to be, wouldn't it? That is just about it for the latest episode of Recorded History with the legendary Louis Walsh. He's still got it, has Louis? He absolutely still has it. What is it? Well, above all and everything, an undying and unmatchable love of good music. That is what it is, I think. Anyway, just loved hearing about him at about the age of 14 or 15, how keen and how hungry he was back in Kilshimal in County Mayo, how he took everything that he observed, soaked in like a sponge, and took it on to forge one of the most significant, influential, and yeah, quite remarkable careers in Irish music history. He has been behind some of the biggest selling pop songs of all time, and it's not over yet. Absolutely no way. The man just loves the game too much, I think. He still has that devilish glint in his eye. I can tell you that as well for a fact. What a character and what a life. Now, if Louis has inspired you to go and buy one of the records that he has mentioned or just one you love yourself, then I would absolutely love it if you supported our partners at therecordhub.com. We simply could not make the podcast without their generosity. And I do hope you enjoyed my crate dive into Louis's incredible record collection. 
and musical life and that you'll join me next week and every Sunday after that where we'll be hearing from a rather delightful mix of homegrown and international talent, as I said before, actors, writers, broadcasters and, well, comedians as well. Each guest has such a unique relationship, don't they, you know, with the music that they listen to and I just cannot wait to be involved in those conversations and, above all, sharing them all with you. Next week's guest, yes, is without doubt one of the most uniquely funny men that this country has produced, I would think, in the generation. I'll be picking the brain of and flicking through the recorded history of the quite brilliant Michael Fry. I absolutely cannot wait. I've been Ed Smith. This has been Recorded History. Now, all that remains for you to do if you're still listening is hit follow and become a weekly listener and subscriber. Thank you and talk to you all next week. Go Loud presents Recorded History. Hosted, produced and researched by me, Ed Smith, at Go Loud Studios. The show was created and executive produced for Go Loud by D-Ready. Our series is proudly supported by TheRecordHub.com, your local Irish and online record store. Oh.